it's, it's a wonderful sight to see a body of people glorify their king. Can you imagine when that's going to be thousands upon thousands upon thousands? Today we're finishing a series called God's Story and God's Glory. And basically what we've done for about eight weeks is uh, we've taken main themes of the Bible. We've, we've taken about eight main themes of the Bible and have kind of tried to dive into understanding those themes, kind of a big picture of how God uh, has revealed himself and interacted uh, with his world in the history of man. And I think a lot of times seeing kind of the big picture helps us frame and understand all the moments in between. And so we've, we've gone from God being the creator to establishing his kingdom where he is king and he reigns over a, a group of people. Uh, we've talked about covenant where God has decided to enter into an intimate, deep relationship. And all through the Bible, all through the Old Testament, it says, I will be your God and you will be my people. We've discussed how man has not held up his side of that agreement, his side of that covenant. So God made atonement for man. God uh, told man that I will fulfill what you could not in order to carry on my kingdom with you. Uh, we've discussed how God uses uh, a temple, which maybe a, an easy way to understand that is there's a special, unique, set-apart place that God interacts with man. And how at one point those were geographic locations on earth. Those were, that was a space on earth. Uh, and then we discussed how the church is the new temple, where God says that uh, now by the cleansing of the blood of Christ and by the fulfilling of the Holy Spirit, you, the church, the people of God, will be the temple. So it's kind of helped me if I, if I, one theologian says that heaven is God's space and earth is man's space, and there's all of these moments where those two overlap. There's these spaces and places and time where God brings heaven down to earth, and there's this union that takes place. And so at different times in, in history, uh, sometimes that space would be just here or just there or even just for a moment. Um, and now in the new covenant with the church, the, the gospel is that the Holy Spirit has invaded our life never to leave. And so there's spaces in this, on this earth that God is united, that heaven is here. And I'm looking at a ton of those spaces. It's his people. We've discussed God's global mission, not just personally like we just talked about to, to save and redeem us, but to redeem people of all kinds and to spread his kingdom throughout the, the whole world. And today we're going to discuss the new creation, where all of this is, is moving towards. And so guys, you should, I, I hope you had a chance, but you should hear Ben talk about the church. Ben is passionate about the church and it being the vehicle that God uses to further his kingdom. Part of the reason why is because he can remember being at a field in Nebraska and being undeniably called by God to be a part of this, to be a leader of the church. And so when this guy talks about the church, you get excited. Or you should hear him talk about global missions and God's heart for the nations because he spent time living in different countries all over the world. He's visited different countries all over the world. And he has seen the need for a savior. 
And he has seen what happens when people respond to that need. He has watched and seen the transformation of people, of families, of villages, of societies because of the person of Jesus Christ. And so those are things that he can't get away from. Now, I support missionaries, but I've honestly never been outside of the country on a missions trip. So as much as I desire that, not quite like him. And you should hear Bill talk about the personal mission of God. You should hear Bill talk about the exchanged life, as he calls it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's his message that he will carry on until he dies. Why? Because he was saved at a young age of 16, and he was on fire for God, and he was doing the work of God, but from his words, he was doing a lot of it on his own strength. And so he crashed and spiritually and mentally and physically, he felt like he was going to die. And at times, he wanted to die. So he has tasted what it's like to try to be right without the Holy Spirit. He has tasted what it's like to try to work for Jesus in some ways without Jesus. And so there's not two sentences that pass that this guy doesn't talk about the exchange life. He is passionate about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and Christ living his life through you because he has tasted the other side of it and he's tasted this side of it. And he knows the, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He has a personal experience with what it's like to be devastated by your own efforts and to be carried by the grace and the mercy of God. And today I get to talk to you about something that God's been screaming in me ever since I was little is the restoration of all things. All my life, I can remember never being fully satisfied. Remember the greatest showman? Never enough. I'm not going to sing for you. <laughs> but forever, it's like, oh man, I have always been frustrated with limits. So we'd you know, get together for the turkey bowl and play football like many of you, and then after a couple hours, we'd be done and we'd have to go eat Thanksgiving, and always I thought, really? We're done already? Thanksgiving? Or we'd be playing on the basketball court on the playground hours and hours and hours, and then I could tell everyone was done, and I wasn't. I can remember a time where I was using my mom as a defender, and she was just entertaining me and I was spinning around her or stiff arming her or juking her out and I realized I better stop this. I thought it was so cool that she kind of entertained that for a while and then I realized I'm getting so annoying I better stop this. And so for most of my life even since I was little I felt like everyone's done and I'm not and there's a bit of disappointment to that and I hated limitations. I hated stuff that uh, even material stuff and, and you all know what it's like. Remember when refrigerators would last 30, 40, 50 years? And you're like, there you go. And now you get refrigerators that have touch screens on them, and after six or seven years, they peter out. And what do you think? It shouldn't be this way. It's frustrating. It's disappointing. I hated the fact that my right hand was a little more coordinated than my left hand. And some of you know, so since when I was 23 years old, I had surgery on my right hand, and so I started brushing my teeth with my left hand. Well, I did that for 10 years. So I wanted to see if after 7,300 times of brushing my teeth left-handed, from 23 to 33, if I could get this thing as coordinated as that thing. And it bothered me that something in my brain couldn't make both sides of your body do the same. I don't like that. And so I committed 10 years, or I brushed my teeth left-handed every twice a day. 
I might have missed a day or two, but not a, not a whole lot. Are the Myers here? Don't tell them I missed a day or two. They're dentists. And here's the deal. My left hand did get more coordinated than it was, but you know what? I put a toothbrush in my right hand, and it can still do it just as naturally as my left. It's just how we're made. So most of my life, I have longed for something without limits. I have longed for something more. I have longed for something to be complete. And then seven years ago, when my body betrayed me, and I had a virus, and I got totally stripped of a lot of my ability, um, where I have t intense limitations. I can remember using a walker, crawling at the swim center uh, into the hot tub, and I kind of slithered down to get in, and there was probably six 78-year-old obese women in there, and they said, good job, you're doing so good. <laughs> and I wanted to bury myself under the water and not come up. But understanding that God uses our personal experiences, God uses the, the fabric that he placed in you to develop these passions and this heart for a part of furthering his message, where it's personal and it's real. And so for me, when I, when I think towards the restoration of all things, when I think towards God making everything right, uh, I have to look at that every single day, and I do. It never leaves me because, like many of you, the, the trials of this world are always right in front of us, aren't they? There's constant reminders that things are broken. There's constant triggers to pain. It, it can be as little as your printer doesn't work after three months till you will never again see that person who is so dear to you on this earth. And so God speaks into that, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. I'm going to pray for us real quick. Father God, uh, you've placed so many things on my heart and on my mind. Um, some of them are written down and tons of them aren't. Even driving up here, I felt like there was such richness in, in you, uh, I think, communicating to my spirit. Uh, if those things would, would build up your saints, if those things would would call the lost towards you, I pray that those would come out. If those were just for me, then, then I trust that. But we ask that you bind the enemy, that you set captives free today, that our hope is anchored in the promises and the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. We currently live in a time of tension, correct? We live in, in, in a place where good coexists with evil. Uh, we live in a place that Certain, there's good moments in each day, and there's bad moments in each day. And so we find ourselves with this, with this tension, uh, even how we feel about God and how he's doing his job can be confusing. And one of the things I really want you to understand is God is just as frustrated with the state of this world as you are. Now, he's sovereign over it. But we look at the scriptures, and time and time again, when God sees brokenness, when God sees heartache, when God sees oppression, when God sees injustice, he has an emotional response. It grieves him. It makes him angry. It does all kinds of things to him. And so I know everyone in this room can relate to being frustrated with moments or the state of this world. 
And we've got to understand that comes from God, that God feels that too. And God is one who can see the whole picture, right? And I think that's the benefit of us trying to grasp the big picture is because it truly does change the way that we interpret our moments. It changes the way that we interpret the state of our country. It changes the way that you interpret good times that you know won't last forever. And it changes the way that you interpret trauma and heartache and bad times that would be unbearable if not for the hope. There's a couple key words that I think are, are important. We touched on them a bit. But if you think through this idea of, of God and man and this union that God's wanting to create, that's going, that's going to help us understand some of today's message. If you think through, many times scripture talks about the heavens being anything above the earth. So that can be stars and sky and space. And then other times it talks about it as God's dwelling place. And that can be a little confusing if we think, well, God dwells everywhere. Yeah, but he has set aside specific places, specific times, so that we humans that are currently finite can relate to those things. And so I want you to continue to think through this, this overlapping of heaven and earth, where, where there is this personal and deep engagement that man has with God. Listen to what Revelation 21, 3 through 5 says. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he himself will be with them as their God. Doesn't that sound just like the covenant? Old Testament, I will be your God, and you will be my people? The difficulty takes place when we realize when, when the fall came, when sin came, when brokenness came, when man decided he wanted to define what good was, and he was going to rearrange the definition of what good and what evil is, where he tried to get in the place of God. And, and we know that's when brokenness entered, that's when shame entered, that's when death and sickness entered. And the Bible says that it was far-reaching. Not just within us, not just within this church, but all of creation is subject to the curse of man trying to be God. And so this is the scene that we find ourselves in. But thank God that he will not allow evil to last forever. That God is determined and will eliminate evil. That he is forever in the process of restoring all things. And there's many moments where you have got to know that. One of the main themes when we're talking about new creation that the Bible uses, or one of the main phrases, is the day of the Lord. Or you see this throughout all of Scripture, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And most of the time, this basically means a day where God will rescue his people. A day where God will deliver some group of people from evil, from oppression. One of the greatest most visible pictures of this in the history of the world is when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, right? So it was obvious slavery for hundreds of years, and then God uses Moses and the plagues to deliver them out of Egypt so that they may worship him. And during that time, uh, Israel continually looked back. This was Passover celebration, but they had all kinds of songs. Many of them are recorded for us in the scriptures that they would say the day, the day, the day. And what they're referring to is remembering and celebrating and praising God for him delivering them out of Egypt. 
So the day of the Lord, even though it is something we look forward to, it's also a phrase that we've got little shadows and tastes of, kind of, kind of micro pictures of throughout the history of God encountering and interacting with man. And so like, as you would kind of logically come to, a day of deliverance from evil also means a day where God confronts evil. It means a day where he deals with evil in order for people to be set free. And so when we're thinking about the restoration of all things, when we're thinking about new creation, we have to understand this language of the day of the Lord because they, they go hand in hand together. October would have been 2004. I can remember going to sleep or trying to go to sleep, and my wife Sherry uh, said, before your eyes close and you fall asleep, know that a baby bearing your name grows in my womb. And so that was the first pregnancy that we had. We have four kids, and I can still remember how excited I got. I went from this close to being asleep to, what, are you kidding? Praise God. And so we talked about what it meant to, to be pregnant. And, and you, many of you guys have had the same experience where you remember your first pregnancy and all of the little moments building up where some sickness, some excitement when the baby moved, and then all of a sudden you could see this, this belly grow. And so you'd put your hand on it, and weird strangers would put your hand on you. But everything that took place, some good moments and some really hard moments, you knew were producing something. You knew all of that was looking forward to life. It was looking forward to the birth of one made in the image of God. And the Bible says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. That's a picture of what we're going through right now is that everything in creation is going towards this rebirth. Everything is, in creation is going towards life to the full. In Revelation 21.5, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. And Levi, do you have a... a we're gonna, I'm going to play you a scene from the Passion of the Christ. And, you know, this came out a while ago. And this was, this was before I had a deep, deep, deep fire for the restoration of my body. Uh, but I can remember seeing this scene for the first time, and it destroyed me. I burst into tears thinking of what God was doing and is doing. Watch quickly.
So that's taken from the book of Revelation, where all I see in that is victory, 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 victory. Where this is our king, this is our rescuer, this is our redeemer, this is our hero doing what he does and what he is doing. He is making all things new. Romans 8 says, For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly as adoption, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope in what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So you understand that there's some loss, there's some trauma, there's some pain that would be utterly unbearable if it weren't for hope. It would devastate you to the point where you could not function, you could not continue to live if it weren't for hope. Many of you have experienced different kinds of trauma, whether that be the betrayal of a friend or a spouse, whether that be your body slowly aging to the point where you can't do the stuff you used to be able to do, you can't hear the things you used to be able to hear or see the things you used to be able to see, or whether it be cancer or rav ravishing your body, loss of a loved one. These things, if this was all we had, they're unbearable. But knowing that this isn't all we have, knowing that God will make all things right, allows you to have, you can have a good life in a broken body. You can have a good life in a broken family. You can have a good life and have endured abuse. Don't allow Satan to define you by the stuff that's happened to you. Don't allow Satan to define you by the things that you have done. Because we have a king who says, let me define and let me give you something that, yeah, that's a part of your past and that's a part of your story. But let me give you something that is eternal. Second Corinthians says, these light momentary afflictions, these light momentary afflictions do not compare with the eternal weight of glory that it is being prepared for you. That means everything that we're going through now will end. Everything. So we do not lose heart. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 5, 2. For in this tent, our bodies, our earth suits, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Many of you have heard me say before, my, my understanding of this is as God is restoring everything, he starts on the inside. He takes a, a sinful, selfish, says that I was an enemy of God. My soul and everything about me wanted to be about me. And he says, I'm going to start in there, and I'm going to give you a new heart. This is what it means to be born again. 
and I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to take sin, I'm going to take death, and I'm going to exhaust it on my son Jesus. And then in the rebirth, I'm going to bring you with me. For all of those who will receive forgiveness, you will be born again, made new. And as he's sanctifying me and bringing that what's deepest part of me out into the way I think, into the way I feel, into my desires, he's restoring that into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And then he goes further and he changes our relationships where I start to celebrate with you and your victories just like I would with me and my victories. And one day we will all be celebrating together. And not only that, but the environment that we live in. Right now, we can have incredible moments of righteousness, but we are not going to outrun the curse around us. Age of tension. But God says one day, even what's around you, even what surrounds you is going to be restored. So think about those moments on earth where you feel like that's a glimpse of heaven. That's going to be every day. It's the already and the not yet. Romans 8, 15 says, For we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and we are children of God. So a part of this has taken place. A part of this is done. And then in 23 it says, The adoption that you're waiting for now, the thing that we're waiting for, is the redemption of our bodies. So we recognize that part of it has been rescued and saved in here, and he's in the process of completing all of that. Now understand this as we kind of wrap up. So as good as this sounds, a day of redemption, a day of restoration, behold, I make all things new. We're rescued from the evil, we're rescued from the heartache, we're rescued from death, but again, that means God has to confront the evil. So a day of restoration also means a day of judgment. Jeremiah 46.10 says, That day, the day of the Lord, the God of hosts, will be a day of vengeance. Revelation 22.12, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 2 Thessalonians 2.10 says, Those that are perishing refused to love the truth and be saved. Over and over and over, the Bible talks about this moment in time where all will stand before God and be judged. And some of you have heard me liken it to Christ taking a test for you. And it's pass or fail. And you can claim his score and say, I want that credited to me. Or you can claim your own. And scripture says that if you claim your own, you will stand and be judged before God. So this day of the Lord is either going to be the most glorious, celebratory, beautiful day that you experience personally, or it is going to be the most terrifying day because you have refused the truth and you have refused to be safe. All of those who are seeking and looking for answers and trying to weigh this and weigh that out, I'm, I'm glad that you understand the, the seriousness where you just don't take a person's word for it and go with it. But I'm telling you, Matthew 24, Matthew 25 talks about no one knows when you're going to be called to account. It says it'll come suddenly. 
And so I beg you to consider your need for forgiveness. Because this day when it comes, a new beginning takes place. And you either bear the name and ride the reputation of Jesus Christ or you don't. It's very serious. So I think each of us need to do some soul searching and see what you have done with your sin, what you have done with God, what you have done with the person of Jesus Christ, what you have done with the Messiah who longs to rescue people. I'm going to close this way. This is what it says in Revelation 22:17, And again, everything that we've looked at, God's creation, his kingdom, his atonement, his covenant, his personal encounter with us, his global desire. Everything that we looked at is, is highly important, and he, he's not wasting a moment, but it's all moving to the culmination of this. It's all moving to, from temporary to eternal. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. God talks and talks about his judgment upon evil. And then it says it is not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. That's 2 Peter 3. So we have opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I need you. And understand that all of the temporary will go away and all the good will be forever. Or we have opportunity to say, I'd rather do this stuff on my own. I'd rather stand on my own account. And God gives you what you ask for. Years ago, I was in Belfast, Ireland with a couple named Richard and Karen Porter. And they are the owners of the Old Moat Inn. And it's as cool as it sounds. And Richard was this dear old saint who loved music and playing the guitar. And he wasn't insanely talented, but it was a blessing. And I'm sitting there and he's singing praise songs with him in Ireland. And he's just got this sweet grin on his face. He's like a Christian hippie. And he stops playing and he starts praying. And he's praying about the goodness of God and the glory of God. And and he starts to pray about eternity. And he says this. Oh God, perhaps even streets of gold will get old eventually. But you will be there. And he had this huge grin on his face. And this is a man that just knew the joy and the sweetness of being by the king's side. And again, he says, come. Anything that we have to do to be next to Jesus for all time, let's do. Let's pray. Father God, I look so forward to your restoration. I look so forward to the redemption of all things. And sometimes that seems um, so very real, and sometimes the, the things of the earth weigh us down. And so I pray that we would continually look towards, talk about, meditate on you fulfilling your promise in our life. And I pray for those that aren't sure about your goodness, that you would open their eyes to see that you are their only hope. For, all, for, for the future, but also to infuse purpose and hope in their moment, in their pain, right now. So bring us all to a place of deep repentance so that we 
stand on you and you alone. Amen.